We're now going to read from God's Word, and the passage we're reading this morning will be Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 to 13. And in my Bible, it's headed, The Faith of a Centurion. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralysed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it will be done just as you believed it would. And the servant was healed at that very hour. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word and for the truths we find in the Bible. Open the eyes of our hearts, Lord, that we may see you in your word. And we pray for your spirit to stir our hearts. We bring before you David and ask that you would use him this morning, that your name would be honoured, not only in Finlay, but wherever your people are gathered throughout our city and throughout the world. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks, Jean, uh, for praying. Uh, we really value all you do in the church um, and appreciate your prayers. Um, so this morning we're going to have a think about um, the centurion soldier. Um, it's one of these great stories that we know so well um, and there's parts of it that are very, very familiar to us. Um, but as always, when you start delving in a little bit deeper, you discover all sorts of things that you hadn't seen before. And that was certainly my experience over the last week or so preparing for this. So hopefully this will be helpful to us as a church um, and, and helpful to you as, a, as an individual. Um, a centurion comes to Jesus was the title uh, given to me to talk about. And that is hinting at what we're about as a church this year, uh, coming to Jesus. Um, and let's keep that thought in our minds uh, over the next uh, wee while. Uh, before we get to the story, I've got quite a lot to chat to you about the, the context um, about the story itself. Um, I, I always find this really helpful. Um, in our small group, we're also going through Matthew at the moment. And uh, we've discovered something really interesting about Matthew's Gospel. Shirley mentioned this last week, um, just at, at the beginning of our talk. Um, the book itself seems to be split into five teaching blocks. There's all sorts of different ways of, of, of trying to get your head around what's going on in Matthew's mind as he puts together this famous Gospel. Um, but what seems very, very clear is that there are five teaching blocks uh, the Sermon on the Mount is just finished before we get to the uh, the story that we're going to look at. Um, chapter 7, verse 20, after he had finished saying these things, that signals the end of the Sermon on the, on the Mount. Uh, but then at the beginning of chapter 11, verse 1, just at the, after 
uh, chapter 10, where he's talking, instructing his disciples. The same phrase appears after Jesus had finished. This time it says instructing his disciples. That's the next teaching block. He instructs the crowds. He then instructs his disciples. And then there's the famous parable section. And would you believe it? That also finishes with the phrase, when Jesus had finished these parables. Um, so that's the next big teaching block. Um, and then at the beginning of chapter 19, when Jesus had finished uh, saying these things again, same phrase again, and that section that came before was all about living as the kingdom. Uh, and then finally, 26 verse 1, when Jesus had finished saying all these things, uh, and what he's just been teaching uh, in that block is all to do with the judgment uh, of God, the end days, um, and the mercy of God as well. So you get very clear five teaching blocks. And what the experts say is that this is a sign that um, Jesus has authority. Why, do, why does that make this a sign that Jesus has authority? Well, there's five teaching blocks um, and there are five books of the Pentateuch, five books of, uh, of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. Um, and these are the books that have authority for the Jewish people of, of the day. And so by creating five blocks of teaching, Matthew is sending a clear message to his listeners. Jesus uh, has as much authority as the books of the law. In fact, Jesus is the fulfilment of the law. So that's a theme that runs through the whole thing. Um, just before we get to the, the story itself, um, as you all know, the Sermon on the Mount has just finished. And I think it's really important just to remind ourselves what has actually been said in the Sermon on the Mount. So in the space of the next two or three minutes, I'm going to kind of summarise the whole thing, which is a bit of a task. Um, but I find this very helpful just to help me get my head around what's just been said before we, we, before we look at the story. Um, so this, these miracles, they sit in between the teaching to the crowd, the first big block, and then the teaching to the disciples, which comes in chapter 10. Um, how does the sermon begin? Well, it begins with the famous Beatitudes. Uh, blessed. Who is blessed? Uh, the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, the merciful, the those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. So immediately Jesus is presenting values that are different from the world's values. They're upside down values. Um, and then we move on uh, to what is a real challenge. The Beatitudes bring us in gently and they might help us. They might make us feel good. Uh, blessed are you, although blessed are you, are you when you're persecuted might worry us that that might come. Um, but they're an encouragement. But then what comes next is a real challenge in, in terms of how we have to be as people. So Jesus says the following, you have to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. I do not feel too often that I am the salt and light of the world, but that's the challenge for his followers. And then he says all sorts of things where he starts off by saying, you have heard that it was said, but I tell you. And so what Jesus does there is he takes the law uh, and, he, and he creates a new way of, of seeing it that's actually tougher. It's actually harder to keep. Um, we've not just to murder. No, we've not to murder at all. We've not just to not murder. Um, we've not to think aggressive thoughts in our head. So control your thoughts, Jesus is, is, is now saying. It's a deeper um, uh, lesson that's coming through here. Control your thoughts. Turn the other cheek. Love your enemies and love those who persecute you. You have to give to the needy, but you have to do it quietly and not get praise for it. 
you have to pray and fast uh, without kind of showing off how spiritual you are as you do these things. You have to forgive or you won't be forgiven. You have not to judge people. You have not to place too much emphasis on money. Uh, you have to enter through the narrow gate. You have to do to others as you would have them do to you. You have to be careful to get your beliefs right. There's false prophets out there. Make sure that your teaching and your beliefs are right. But the whole thing finishes off with the famous story that Shelley talked about last week. Uh, we have to build our house on the rock. We have to hear these words, this big list of teaching, and we have to put them into practice. We have not just to have our beliefs that dominate our minds and get that sorted. We have to do the tougher thing, which is uh, to put these words into practice. And I'm immediately asking myself, how on earth am I going to do this? Because when I look at these as individual things, I know I fail in them so often. Uh, the sermon finishes with the words, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. And that's a very important little introduction as to where we're going with the miracle stories. Jesus taught as one who had authority. And as we can see uh, in the story, particularly of the, uh, of the centurion, authority is a hugely important thing. So chapters 8 and 9, we're now just about getting to the, um, the, the miracle stories themselves. Uh, chapters 8 and 9 are jam-packed with, with a variety of different miracles. There's other things in there as well, but these, these certainly dominate uh, these two chapters. Um, there's the man with leprosy, the centurion and his servant, Peter's mother-in-law. Uh, there's many stories of the demon-possessed, the people who are sick, calming the storm, healing and, uh, and forgiveness of the para paralysed man. There's the dead girl, sick woman, two blind men and a demon-possessed man who can't speak. Uh, all these different characters and all these different famous stories. Um, but I don't know if you noticed carefully when I was saying that, I missed something that you can see on the slide. And that is right in the middle of this chunk of um, uh, miracle stories, uh, we find somewhat un unusually the calling of Matthew. It, it appears right in the middle. The other disciples' calling comes later on, but Matthew uniquely, uh, the story of Matthew, comes on its own right in the middle of this chapter, which is full of miracles. And some of the commentators have said that this is a sign that Matthew thinks that his own experience of coming to Jesus is in itself a miracle. Um, he has been changed in the same way as these people uh, have, be, have also been changed. And also what's really important is that Matthew, uh, of all the disciples, was an excluded member of the community. He was somebody that um, the Jewish people wanted nothing to do with because he was a tax collector. And right in the middle of this collection of um, miracle stories and characters, we have the excluded Matthew becoming included in the kingdom of heaven. And if you just look at all this list, uh, all these different um, characters, we can see that, that pretty much all of them are themselves excluded members of society. Um, we've got the man with leprosy. He's excluded by his, his illness and his um, his sense of not being part of the of the community. He is unclean. Um, 
we've got the centurion, he's excluded by his race, he's a Gentile. Um, we've got Peter's mother-in-law, the dead girl and the sick woman. They're all excluded by their gender. If you know anything about the history of the way women were treated at that, that part in history and certainly onwards, women are, have often been excluded and that's certainly uh, evident here. Uh, and then the paralysed man himself probably excluded because people felt that he had maybe sinned and that was the cause of his paralysis. Uh, what he had he done to deserve this? So this is a collection of excluded, uh, excluded people. Um, Tom Wright um, says that these stories can be summed up as being mostly about what Jesus' authority looks like in practice. So the people have recognised his authority as a great teacher and now he is going to show that authority in practice. I think they're a bit more than just that. That's definitely true. They're a bit more though. Um, I think they're also announcements of the kinds of people that are getting invited into the kingdom of heaven. The excluded ones, the un unexpected people are the ones that are in this story um, that are now becoming part of, of the kingdom. So that's a clear message that comes through. There are also stories that are full of individual testimonies of people who have come to Jesus, who have encountered Jesus. Um, and that's a really nice way of reading these stories. These are individual people with their own stories. I wonder what, I wonder how they shared these stories as time went on uh, through their life. Sometimes Jesus told them not to tell anybody. Sometimes uh, they seem to be told to tell people. But what did they do? Well, the word must have got, got out because we now know the stories. So they're individual testimonies. Um, they're not just about what Jesus did. They're not just about Jesus performing a miracle. Um, they're also about what the people did. So when we quickly look um, at the, I'm going to look at two of the stories. We'll quickly glance at the the man with leprosy as that one comes first, and then we'll look at the centurion. When we look at them, then we can see uh, what what they were like as individuals. Um, what kind of people were they, and and how did they come to Jesus? And I think that is going to be hugely helpful. Certainly helpful to me. When I think of the Sermon on the Mount and how difficult it is to do all these things, and I want to do them, I want to put them into practice, but these two little stories, and in fact all of the miracle stories, are full of things that can help us know some basic things that we should really think about in our own lives um, so that we can come to Jesus in such a way that we can be changed like them and then begin to put these beliefs uh, into, into practice. I think both stories that we're going to glance at very briefly, um, they have what you might say are foundational attitudes. There's things that they do um, that are foundational to then going on to becoming changed people. And I think that's really helpful to us, foundational attitudes. So let's, let's get into the, the stories just quickly, um, identify what they are. And that will give us something just to reflect on ourselves. So the healing of the man with leprosy, first of all, uh, this is a man who is ill and needs to self-isolate for life. We're all self-isolating, as, as we know, uh, at the moment. But this man was self-isolating for life. He is somebody who is ritually unclean and, and not part of the, uh, of the community. So his isolation is not just about not spreading the disease. It's about keeping this unclean and person away from uh, from contaminating the community not just in terms of a disease 
but in terms of, of their spiritual state. Um, at the end of the sermon, the crowds follow Jesus down the mountainside and immediately it's, this story appears. And it just got me thinking, where was the man with leprosy? Because he couldn't be in the crowd because they would have told him to go away. Um, so did he? Did somebody speak to him? Did somebody um, tell him what was going on? Did he see the crowds at a distance? Um, what, what, how did he end up getting there? Uh, we don't know. But what we do know is that he comes before Jesus and the first thing it says is he knelt before him. Uh, he comes and kneels before Jesus. And that is what I would say is the first foundational attitude. How can we put these beliefs into action? Well, what about that for a heart posture? Uh, he comes and kneels before Jesus. Um, blessed are the meek. There is a beautiful example of a meek attitude. And then he says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. If you are willing. He recognises that Jesus can do it and it's up to Jesus whether he wants to do it. You can make me clean. He recognises that Jesus doesn't just have authority to teach. He has authority to heal um, and make a difference in his life. Um, two foundational attitudes evident in this man. He kneels before him, before Jesus, and he recognises his authority. That's the starting point um, for us hearing these words of Jesus and putting them into practice. And then eventually we've got to the centurion uh, story, which I was asked to speak on. I've taken an awful long time getting there. Um, but the centurion story is, is fascinating. Maybe this is an even bigger shock to the people as they... Um, as they watch what's taking place here, because this is not just a member of their own community who is sick. Uh, this is a member of a Gentile um, army collection of people um, who is now speaking to Jesus. It's thought that he was some kind of junior officer um, and, and forces under the command of Herod. So not going to be very popular. Herod was not a popular king. Um, and this army seems to be made up of non-Jewish men largely from Lebanon and, and Syria um, so up comes this uh, person uh, he wants to talk to Jesus now why where does he come from um, he's certainly somebody that seems to have sympathy with the Jewish religion although he is Gentile uh, in Luke's account we actually read that his Jewish friends are the ones that bring him along um, people have brought him to Jesus um, unlike the man with leprosy, the centurion doesn't ask um, for healing for his servant. He just describes the problem. My servant lies at home paralysed, suffering terribly. He just blurts out. And I just wondered whether this was a man who's met Jesus and, and he's been in awe at this great chance to meet Jesus and he just has blurted out something. And Jesus responds with great grace. Um, he just says to him, would you like me to heal him? Um, and that's just a lovely response from Jesus. And the centurion doesn't reply and say yes. He says, I don't deserve to have you come into my house. So like the man with leprosy, another example of his humility, blessed are the meek. He understands his state, his position before God. He's an important soldier. But he says, you, I don't deserve to have you in my house. Um, the soldier, like the man with leprosy, recognises the authority of Jesus. But the difference is in this story, 
um, we get a, a very clear understanding and explanation of what that means. This man's experience is different from the man with leprosy. Um, he is uh, somebody who understands authority. For I myself am a man under authority. These very famous words that we know so well. I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant do this um, and he does it. He understands authority. He doesn't um, really need to say yes please heal my servant he just knows and he wants to express his understanding of the authority that Jesus has when it comes to diseases the centurion recognizes that Jesus has the same kind of authority over disease as he has over slaves and other other soldiers and then we get Jesus wonderful uh, reaction Jesus was amazed it's just a wonderful image there. Imagine meeting Jesus, talking to Jesus, and he is amazed at something that you have said. Uh, we would be well pleased if that happened to us. Um, and he commands the centurion's faith. Uh, he com he commends, uh, commends, not commands, commends the centurion's faith. Um, he recognises that this uh, centurion um, has a full understanding of what Jesus' authority is. Uh, and you might say there's the next foundational attitude that's developed a little bit further in this story. Blessed are the meek, uh, humble attitude, uh, coming before Jesus, bowing before him, um, recognising the authority of Jesus, um, and then faith um, being the key thing to allow the Spirit of God to change us and help us uh, put these words into practice. Um, Tom Wright says, with the leper, there is the restoring and renewing of a member of Israel. With the centurion, faith in Jesus' authority is already spreading to people outside Israel as a sign of the wonderful ingathering of the nations that God intends to bring about. Together, these two stories make a small but complete window uh, on the whole gospel. There's something very profound going on at the beginning of these stories, a renewing of a member of Israel and immediately after that uh, God bringing a Gentile uh, into the kingdom of heaven. So just to finish, um, what does this mean for us today um, as, a, as a community learning, learning that story? Uh, often when I read these things I ask myself questions like what does this mean for me today as an individual um, or maybe for us as a, as a group? Um, but it's just been on my mind. What does this mean for us as a, as a church? Um, um, and it wouldn't be, wouldn't it be a wonderful reality if that as a church we were known as people who hears the words of Jesus and puts them into practice? Um, wouldn't that be a wonderful image of what we are? I was looking at the church website recently and I noticed that we've got a a section that has our beliefs very clearly identified. What it doesn't have is a section that, that says what we're about as people, what our values are as a church. Uh, there's nothing in there about the, the, the teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, for example. Maybe that's something for us to think about uh, going forward. We've got our beliefs, but what about our practice? Um, are we a church that has values that, that mirror the Sermon on the Mount? That would be a wonderful thing. Are we a church where the excluded feel they can come? 
you can be part of, just like you see with all these miracle stories, um, are the excluded comfortable in our presence? Um, that's a, an important sign for us uh, to think about. And just maybe one wee last thought to finish. Uh, I love the idea that it's these excluded people that are actually teaching us important truths uh, about how we should come to Jesus. Um, and sometimes, um, sometimes maybe we feel that as a church, we're the ones that have to tell people all the time how to, uh, to do this and that. But so often, once you are meeting with people, you can learn about Jesus from them and their attitudes. Um, and you certainly see that uh, in this story. I remember a number of years ago meeting a, a lady from St George's Cross and her saying to me, um, you know, I, I would like to come to church, but I couldn't come to church because I'm not the kind of person that could walk into that building. I'm not good enough. Um, there was a humility there, um, which was which was good. Um, but what we want as a church is for people to feel that they can come and they can be part of of our community um, and as we've learned sometimes the excluded ones can teach us really important things teach us about meekness uh, humility teach us about the understanding of the authority of Jesus and as we discovered this morning um, teach us uh, about faith these things are the beginning uh, of us hearing the words of Jesus putting them into practice and then truly coming uh, to him so let's just pray uh, this morning. Thank you Lord for your word. We thank you for all the um, the great truths that we learn uh, in it and I would just ask Lord that you would help us just to ponder these things. Help us Lord to go away, reread them, think about them, um, be determined uh, to really hear what you have to say to us as a church. Help us Lord to hear your words and put them into practice and we thank you Lord uh, for these stories that when we come to you that you can do great things in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.